everyone, and welcome to Representation in Cinema. We talk about the representation of black, brown, and indigenous people in movies. This podcast is hosted by Our Voices Project. Our goal is to dismantle destructive stereotypes of minority groups perpetuated in the media by producing films centered on the multifaceted experiences of black, brown, and indigenous people. Our Voices Project is also a committed community partner, providing opportunities to affirm racial and cultural identities, empowering students as agents of social change, and contributing to an individuals learning through cultivation of critical thinking. I'm Jackie McGriff, co-founder, director, and producer for the Our Voices Project, and joining me on today's podcast is OVP team member, cinematographer, and editor Deborah Alvarez. Welcome, Deb. Hey, everyone. <laughs> All right, so I am happy to say that um, we've made it to the second season um, of our podcast. Ooh. Yes! <laughs> Deb, how does it feel? Oh, great. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, No, we are very excited um, to actually be be able to do this, um, you know, throughout all year last year and now just to get here and then be able to kind of like broaden our discussions around representation in cinema. To our listeners, thank you so much for listening each month. We are grateful to you and for you. Today, on this first episode of our second season, we are pleased to talk to Jason Barber about positive and accurate Latino representation in movies and the influence of Edward James Almos. Welcome to our first episode of the year, Jason. We're so glad to have you here. Oh, thank you for inviting me. (laughs) Jason Barber is a Cuban-American educator and artist with over a decade of experience in Rochester's arts and non-for-profit sectors. As an active public artist in Rochester, he has served in many roles for a variety of Rochester's art institutions, Rochester Brainery, Oxford Gallery, Memorial Art Gallery, Wall Therapy, and the Yards Art Collective. He currently sits on the development and outreach boards for Rock Art United, Latinx Art Council, and Catholic Charities of Rochester, and teaches art at the Academy of Health and Science. Mr. Barber's presentation will explore the impacts that Latino Latinx artists are having in Rochester, through their murals and public artworks. He is also a massive film lover with an encyclopedia's worth of knowledge in cinema. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry for my bad grammar. (laughs) (laughs) No, no, you're all good. You're all good. Um, Okay, so now we're talking about the influence of Edward James Almost. So for those of you in the audience who don't know about this legend, um, Edward James, and quotations, Eddie Almost, is a Mexican-American actor, director, and activist. Born in L.A. where he was raised, the son of Eleanor and and Pedro Almost, who was a welder. His father was a Mexican immigrant and his mother Mexican-American. He grew up wanting to be a professional baseball player and became the Golden State batting champion. In his teen years, he turned to rock and roll and became the lead singer for a band he named Pacific Ocean. So called (laughs) because it was to be the biggest thing on the West Coast. I love that so much. Bigger than the Beach Boys. (laughs) Yes. For several years, Pacific Ocean played various clubs in and around L.A. and released a record in 1968. At the same time, he attended classes at East Los Angeles College, including courses in acting. Today, his acting career has spanned over 30 years. In that time, he's garnered a Tony nomination for his role in the play Zoot Suit, where he portrays the narrator El Pachuco. He also starred in the 1981 film adaptation in the same role. He received an Oscar nod for his performance in 1988's Stand and Deliver, 
and is well known for his memor- uh, memorable excuse me roles in Blade Runner, American Me, Me Familia, Selena, and Time of the Butterflies. He has won an Emmy and two Golden Globes for his celebrated television roles, including Miami Vice, The West Wing, cult favorite Battlestar Galactica, and Dexter. As I mentioned before, he is also a devoted social activist, co-founding the Los Angeles Latino International Film Festival, Latino Literacy Now, and Latino Public Broadcasting. We are covering a few of his films today, so we encourage you to go watch these films, some of which we've mentioned and others that you may not be as familiar with, but are also very important. As we, as we say on each podcast episode, you will hear spoilers, so before we continue any further, just know that you have been warned. All right, so <laughs> now that you have all that you need to know, <laughs> um, Jason, so why, why specifically these, these films and why Edward James almost? Why did you want to talk well, about him? I think for him, for me, seeing him early on in cinema, seeing me familiar, seeing like a rap- representation of someone who looked like my grandfather, mm-hmm. looked like my uncles, looked like a Latino that you would know mattered. And I think... Yeah. The more I discovered the stuff he was involved in, what he produced, the way he was part of, you you would see someone who actively was changing the way the Latinos were represented in cinema, and specifically as normal Americans, mm-hmm. not as immigrants, migrants, illegals, narcos. You know, he didn't play these characters. He played teachers. He played dads who were American, who happened to raise their daughter, like in Selena, who... <laughs> discovered her Hispanic heritage, mm, mm-hmm. you know, and it was the sense of like for a second gen like me, you know, mm-hmm. my mother's from Cuba and I was born here in Rochester. Mm-hmm. I am like, I always say I'm like a hundred percent Cuban and a hundred percent Rochesterian. My dad's an Italian American, but he's through and through Rochesterian. <laughs> so it is that kind of balance of identity that early on seeing those films, especially at a young age, at like thir- seeing Selena when I was 13, mm-hmm. And seeing that experience of seeing someone who looked and sounded like me, who spoke English, mm-hmm. who was really bad at speaking Spanish. And seeing those examples was like, and seeing that he had an involvement in that and then going to see Battlestar, seeing uh, like eventually discovering Balagor, Cario, Cortez, and Zuzu, mm-hmm. and, um, and like El Norte and stuff that he was just somehow connected to. Mm-hmm. And he was bringing these groups together in the mm-hmm. 80s and the late 70s that... I didn't know what's happening, and it was it was the first time that you I could see real representation or real stories being told of of the Latino population, and not just yes, it was specifically focused on Mexican Americans, mm-hmm. but he has later highlighted Puerto Ricans, Cubans, you know, like mm-hmm. telling our stories because they're as important as just you know like and like as as any American story, mm-hmm. you know, and I think that's what's so important. Like he wasn't playing if he does a Western. He's not playing the bad Mexican. Right. You know? <laughs> That's what I appreciated. Yes. Awesome. Thank you so much. Um, all right. And we will get to Gregorio Cortez uh, yes. later on. Um, yes. Because I have so much to say about it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but first, we were actually going to start with Me Familia. Um, and just getting into, again, exploring this question of, you know, these, these specific movies and their um, portrayals of... First, of course, like Mexican-Americans and then the other, you know, Latinx people. Um, so Deb actually uh, watched this one. Um, yes. 
Do you want to give our audience what Me Familia is all about? Absolutely. So with Me Familia, a second generation Mexican immigrant narrates his family, family's history, uh, beginning with the journey of his father, Jose uh, Jacob Vargas, across Mexico to Los Angeles, where he meets Maria uh, Jennifer Lopez and starts a family. Each subsequent generation condemns with political and social hardships, ranging from illegal de- deportations in the 1940s to ra- racial tensions and gang fights in the 60s and 70s. Yet through it all, or perhaps because of it, the family remains strong. Yeah, this uh, film had a lot of twists and turns in it, for sure. <laughs> Very um, melodramatic. Yes. Oh, my goodness. Uh, especially, um, I guess, with Tony, that was uh, pretty funny, the the path that she was going down, starting with a nun and then <laughs> off to, you know, be marry a priest. So there was a lot of different um, aspects of the film that I thought were heartwarming as well. Um, and so I guess I, I wrote a few questions for the movie. And the first one uh, just... So generally, how do you see uh, Latinx families taking care of each other? And has that dynamic changed in today's generation? Um, I think it's an interesting point. Um, I think Latin communities, especially in predominant Latin neighborhoods and places, we have to, we've, it's a culture that has to help and support each other and develop each other. We're in everyone's business and also nothing is sacred, <laughs> which really, really can be very annoying amongst predominantly white people (laughs) i grew up in a white evangelical community so imagine how that feels to to grow up in a church-based community and be hispanic you you are constantly butting against people who don't want to tell their opinion and i think that is something that's unique about that movie you see that it's a multi-generational thing that like even if they're distant from each other they're still in each other's lives Mm -hmm. and i think that's what's so beautiful about it and the movie Mm -hmm. also deals with the traditional stuff that's in a lot of Mexican-American cinema, um, magical realism, which we're still dealing with. You know, it's in Coco, it's in um, Encanto, is all this idea of that, like, in Latin culture, there's this magical effect. You know, the family has this magic that doesn't exist yeah. outside the family. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that is interesting point to, to say, especially because I noticed um, with Maria, the, the first generation, she dealt with uh she had a lot of uh spiritualism i think she had a lot of faith and there was um moments uh especially with her son chucho am i pronouncing it right yeah chucho yeah chucho um so he uh had a they her so maria uh she started um basically i will start from the beginning because i lost my train of thought um so Let's see. The next one, it was Sochicho's mother. She believed the river spirits took him instead of the police murdering him. Um, so, I mean, when Chucho was a baby, like, there was a scene where Maria and, and him, they were in uh, trying to cross this river, and she sees a white owl, um, and it was like an omen to her. Uh, she wasn't sure yet what it meant, but then throughout uh, the, the life, as you see uh, Chucho uh, grow up, um, you see it come to pass where he sees the owl again. And that means, you know, that the time is near for uh, his death. And she, Maria, saw, thought that the river spirits took him, um, even though the policeman, there was murder. And uh, it was very hard, uh, especially for Jimmy, who witnessed that. So do you see other uh, Latinx people very, for, from your experience, have you seen other Latinx people view on just actions in correlation to spiritualism or religion? Um, yes. I mean, I had a grandmother who 
devout and my mother who's strong in her faith and started a church, even a Latino church here in Rochester. So spiritualism plays a huge part in exile populations, Mm -hmm. especially people who are in in like a a form of a diaspora from the Latin American country. It's the way we understand the world. Mm. Um, It's the way we understand our culture. Because in many ways, we are like the Israelites in Babylon. You know, like we are the unwelcome guest but we're told to assimilate to your cultures, your traditions, or we cannot be part of your culture and your traditions. And we're still an outsider to that. So most people who are of an exile population and come from a strong spiritual background, especially Catholic or even, you know, like Southern Baptist or or like Protestant, you're going to feel this connection. You're going to feel this outsiderness and spirituality connection to this unworld and outside world is also part of Latin culture, not just in Mexico, uh, Puerto Rico, and Cuba. Um, Santeriaism is very commonplace. Uh, so, I mean, even my own family, you know, you go to the priest and then you go to the Santeria. So, the witch, you kind of balance <laughs> both sides of the yeah. ladder in the culture. So, there is always a sense of there is this real spirituality. I know my own family, when they've had very horrific losses, there is a sense of omen. There's a sense of of this this stuff leading, so that's what that always connected me uh, to it. And even you re hear, remember in those scenes, I'm like, oh, has a different effect <laughs> on me now as I've gotten older. <laughs> so. Yeah, no, I I remember watching it because I grew up uh, with a you know white wolves. I'm mixed, so uh, Hispanic, um, Puerto Rican, and white uh, and European. You know, um, but. <laughs> Yeah, and Italian, so we got yeah, some of that we got too. The same. Um, yeah, so uh, and my grandmother actually believed in Santa Maria and practiced that. Um, and she, I grew up uh, living with her, and so um, I kind of would see how how she practiced that in a ways. And it's just very interesting the dynamic um, in religion and, and how that connects to your culture. So I appreciate you sharing that mm-hmm. um, for sure. Now, when it, so. I'll transition into um, actually. So Memo, uh, his the younger the younger son, um, he actually I think he was the only one that that I think the parents thought turned out pretty well because he was like an attorney <laughs> or something, <laughs> and so he ended up uh, marrying or was engaged uh, uh, to this lady who was you know just like the traditional white American and um, I, the scene where he's uh, introducing you know their family to his family. Uh, his dad, his dad uh, talks about, so Memo's dad talks about his great grandfather being buried in the backyard. Um, <laughs> and Memo's like, really dad? He was like a little embarrassed. You could tell. And I remember his father uh, reading, reading that uh, see, and just thinking, uh, I guess I shouldn't really, <laughs> you know, announce that to the, the family. Yeah. Um, so it was, it was kind of, you know, it was funny because it, it, you see like in the beginning how that happened with the grandfather and, uh, just how the family really, uh, you know, values, um, and helps each other out. And so just seeing that scene, um, it, it was making me think, you know, like, I guess, uh, in later generations, especially now, um, in regards to assimilation into the culture, uh, in American culture, like, do you see many Latinx of the younger generation have pride for their culture? Do you see a lot more like assimilation? Um, I think that's a very interesting question because I think it's a balance. I think, mm-hmm. I think it's hard. Um, I remember talking to our principal about this, and I said in in Rochester it's a little difficult because there is a choice 
it's a binary choice if you're inner city schools. And I've talked to my Latino kids in this in the in the school. And I've talked to my principal who you, you know, I have a principal who's Dominican, who's dark skinned Dominican, mm-hmm. and I've also had principals who are black and I've had to explain to my African American principal that like Latino students who are black or white, mm-hmm. they don't see themselves as either or. And I think the problem is the culture says you have to make the choice to be either or. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you ask, like, a, a student who's like, no, I'm Dominican, I'm Puerto Rican, I'm Cuban, I'm like this, I'm this. Yeah. You know, and they, they see their identities more complex, while the culture is telling you you can't, you have to see it as this point of view. Mm-hmm. And it's it's this kind of weird balance, you know, my as my principal says, you know, she's an outsider because she's Dominican, she's a dark-skinned Dominican. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. so she's okay. not going to be part of either culture, uh, but either culture is going to try to see they can take advantage of that identity. And I think that's something that's interesting when it comes to assimilation because it doesn't matter. It de- that determines the assimilation that you go in. And I also think in many ways, assimilation is something we have to wrestle with as second gen. Like, because yes. as, especially if you come from a population that you are, have to work to become a citizen to this country or work to be an active part of this country. It's, it's different for Puerto Ricans, but they still struggle for the same because they can go back. Mm, you know, yeah. it's like Cubans, mm. I can't. It's a, it's a complex relationship. But in Mexicans, it's still a really complex relationship. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, there's a recent movie came out, uh, Bardo by Alejandro oh. Iratu. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And right. he kind of really does a really good job at explaining that kind of dynamic of being an outsider in your home country and then being an outsider in your adopted country. And I think that is the question of the younger generations is like, what does simulation look like for us? You know, like, uh, is it forced upon us because of the culture that our parents wanted us to be part of so that they can receive that education and grow? Or what do we take and what do we grow with it? You know, like I, my father is Italian-American, Rochesterian through and through. But I, I've always think my father understood something without ever understanding something that you must integrate instead of assimilate. Mm. You know, so yes. he took parts of the culture that he liked. He loves making pulled pork, like pork. <laughs> he, lo- that's, he, he learned the technique nice. perfectly. Can't speak a single word of Spanish. You know, completely looks like an idiot when he's around there, but he oh loves my, my mom's family. He loves my abuela. He loves my abuelo. He loves, you know, like, but he he had to learn how to make Cuban-style pork. Like, oh, that's yeah, the that's thing he good. had to learn, you know, <laughs> like, but that's like, but he integrated into the culture. He became part of that culture, mm-hmm. you know, in that sense. Yeah. But that's the part he could understand and the part that he could relate to. And he did, that's the element he worked in. I kind of, I, I actually gave my father praise. I'm like, dad, you didn't force us to assimilate. Mm. You didn't tell my mom he, she had to assimilate. My mom did it because of, you know, just being in this environment. And I think that's the aspect of generational that you see in this movie. Because that's yeah. that's that question. That second generation has offered that question. What does assimilation look like for you? Like Memo deals with it differently than his siblings do. Because mm-hmm. he wants to be American. He wants to marry the, you know, the white girl. And you know, he wants to be part of that culture. Yeah. And have that, that, that security. Oh, definitely. Yeah. No, it's it's interesting because at least with my family, too, it was uh, my dad. His dad came from Puerto Rico and, like, basically left to go to the war for a time. And um, and he basically wanted his whole family assimilated and speak only English. So he never spoke Spanish to my dad. And so my dad did the same. We just all spoke English. And so I can see how that 
definitely affects the way we view our cultures um, when we don't know the language very well. So, um, how's your experience been with Spanish now? Do you have oh, you decided to so learn it? Or? Bad. I got to work on it. I, I, I yeah. keep procrastinating on it. It's something I. It's hard when you live Same, here. Man. It's so hard when you yeah. live in Russia. People realize how it's. If I was in Miami, it'd be a whole different story. So. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Um, we can move forward because yep. we have. I know there's there's a bunch of uh, <laughs> yeah, movies to talk really about. Really good questions. Oh my gosh. Oh yeah. So For sure. Shall we move forward to El Norte then? Yeah. Sure. So El Norte is about a group of um, Mayan Indians who, after deciding to organize a labor union to improve conditions in their village, experienced their community being violently destroyed by the Guatemalan army. Teenage siblings, Rosa and Enrique, managed to escape the massacre, massacre and decide to start a new life in El Norte, the USA. The two trek through Mex- Mexico, uh, meeting a variety of characters and facing trials and tribulations on their journey toward life lives as illegal immigrants in los angeles so amidst the struggle of the two siblings throughout the film there's still humor throughout and uh their stories i thought were very told very poetically um very depressing yes in a <laughs> depressive way we're for new sure. it's a good movie but it's a depressing movie. yes um yeah, i had to take some time to like <laughs> play with my dog after yeah. one <laughs> it's a movie that started the kind of the the cliche Mm. of it which is sad because it's a beautiful movie but it did did create the the kind of traditional like this is the illegal immigrant story yeah across the migrant story i can see that i see okay yeah um i mean is there i guess so some of the questions listed here the first is like what kind of struggles have have you faced personally and uh have you seen similar struggles within the latinx community america well yes i mean i've as a Cuban American, you you are grown up with people who've done every which way to come to this country. You know, I've had my first person who ever taught me, uh, like Latin politics and Latin history, true Latin history, was somebody who took a raft. And just recently, I have two cousins. One who I wish to be on this podcast because he is a film professor from the Santiago, University of Santiago. Oh but he took, as he says politely, he took the expensive way to cross the Mexican border. Spending twenty two thousand dollars to get, sleep in the back of a of a semi truck for four days to get oh to the Mexican God. borders, so yeah, so and that wow. you know and that's he had the education, but that's twenty two thousand dollars is what somebody who has a high end like like a like a upper middle class job in Cuba makes. Mm. That's a professor's like pay wow. for a year for a year, so. Dang. To spend that much money just to do that is important. And to come here, you know, he's somebody I've been hopefully going to try a Latin film festival with, and I've been trying to kind of be on board with the with the initiative just to kind of get him to volunteer because that definitely helps. But we've had people who've done that. So Oh, my gosh. Okay, I have to interject because um, this um, Latin film festival, do you want to – Tell us a little bit more. Yeah. Uh, hopefully, uh, uh, let's 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 uh, hope it all works. We're we're just we just met with a little to kind of secure some fit ideas for it to kind of develop some like yeah. some groundwork of what films. One of the films we are discussing now, probably the next movie. I've been really annoying them like crazy <laughs> to get, and I've gotten some kind of push, like not just kind of like you know maybe. Uh, like this, <laughs> like, I don't know if it'd be that popular. And I think you've all, you've both acknowledged if we showed this movie, I think it'll be sold out. 
like yeah. the next movie we're talking about. Yes. Yeah, I think, yeah. I think, I think, uh, <laughs> sure. but I think you, we just need to keep pushing the, the noise and the little like. Trust me, we show those movies. <laughs> Everybody's right. gonna want to come. Yes, you know, but uh, I think it's just trying to care what that looks like because mm-hmm. you know there. This is, uh, you know, if we're doing Latino cinema, you can't just do it as one group. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, you yeah. want to have multiple stories. Yes. You know, so you, you want to represent Dominicans, Latinos. And, you know, for me, like one of the big pushes that I, I hope kind of falls through is how can we tell Latin American stories mm. here in Rochester? Like stories of people who are Latinos in this country. What does that look like to be Latino in America? It doesn't It doesn't have to go through one political, one social, like cultural mm-hmm. group. But what does it look like to have that identity? And I think that's something I, I hope we can kind of deal with. And also I want, you know, Cuban cinema. I want directors from Cuba to show their films. You know, I want directors from DR um, mm-hmm. to show their, and Puerto Rico to kind of present the films. And I think it's great to bring our whole community together and say, you know, we're 35% of the city. Mm. We're one of the largest and growing populations in the yeah. city. And yet all the cultural institutions have kind of failed and representation. Not kind of. Uh, uh, yeah, 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 you, know well, yeah. you can say, you can fully say it, Jason. So you can say they, you they have, this. <laughs> you know, and I, I, as much as I love these cultural institutions, I'm sick and tired of them asking us to come dance and give us your food. Oh, you know, preach. like, I, I'm not being mean, but it's like, it's no, our time to tell our stories. Of some events. Yeah. yeah, our yeah. American stories. Like, yeah. Yeah. our mm-hmm. Latin, like, and I think that's the element of saying, you guys need to step up and tell the stories and show the films. Like the little Dryden, they have it easier. They do. Mm. I mean, it's it is a pain in the butt to get films there. It's true, but that's in its reality. I've I've understood that it's a mm-hmm. real hard hard reality. You know, yeah, you've shown films. Yes. So uh, <laughs> yeah, it's definitely not easy process, even for them. But I do think they have they have the easiest footwork. Mm-hmm. They they have such a library that they can kind of reach out to, and then everyone else should fall into place. You know. The Georgie Smith house, yeah, and the, the yes. Mag. They should yes. kind of and like should kind of be like, okay, what are we missing here? Right, you know, yeah. the Strong Museum could do like a door of the Explorer. I mean, that was my show. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, just step yeah. up. The, you know. Yeah. So no, no, thank you yeah. for sharing. I cannot wait, and I hope they show that the, the movie that we're going to talk about soon. Yes. Um, but but so. On El Norte, um, Deb, did you have any other question that you want to ask about that um, specific movie? I mean, the the depressing, the very depressing it, one. It, yeah, <laughs> it was very sad. But there were, I mean, I tried to look at the good moments in there. I mm-hmm. mean, I, I think it was really sweet that both siblings were very loyal to each other as mm-hmm. far as helping each other and, and staying there. Um, I mean, do you think, because I know he may, um, the main character made a friend while he was working at that restaurant and he kind of helped him escape the, uh, was it in, it was, uh, oh gosh. Was it like the, the word? Sorry. I'm trying to find the word like for deportation. Deport- yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean there, was there any, do you, do you see like a lot of common, um, traits between the characters of just like the main, so when they, like the Latinx people in America versus like in Guatemala, like, how they met and I'm mm. going to rephrase that question. What do you think the characters had in common with the Latinx people that they met in America? Um, I think there is, there is a strong difference. It's okay. interesting when we think about po- Latino populations in the country and outside of the country, like mm-hmm. 
it is it's it's saying that like oh wait a minute if I go to Italy man all the I'm expecting all the Italians in Italy to act like the Italian Americans in in New York City. Yeah, <laughs> like, no, it's different. Yeah. yeah, so it's I think that cultural dynamic mm-hmm. plays into some of the stuff, but I do think uh, I like the part that you said it makes two sub was uh, there's still humor throughout the story. Yeah, and I think that's something that. I like to see in Latin American in stories. And we, I mean, any marginalized story we talk about, but I do think in Latino populations, it, there is sometimes a gallows humor and we have a little dark sense of humor. I mean, especially if you've, your family's come here in really, really hard ways, you joke, you know, mm-hmm. you really joke about it. You, you, I mean, growing up, we called him, we called it Fidel, uncle Fidel. I mean, God. that's what you do as your Cubans. We oh, make fun of man. the, we make, it's, it's, so that's why, you know, I get along with my, you know, that's why my cousins have moved, married in a Jewish family. <laughs> like, it's just, it's part of our culture. We just blend really well. <laughs> oh my God. So I think that aspect of it is just, the humor has to be there because we have to make fun of hardships or we don't understand the struggle. Mm. We have to walk through the struggle mm. and la lucha walk through the, like, you are part of the struggle the, the, you know that that is part of our life and our culture mm-hmm. so i think that aspect is, i love that it's in anote and it's so cool because the director of this as we go into the next movie <laughs> is the director who would also become a producing partner with edward james Olmos, so we connect back to eddie uh, okay you know yeah, yeah. and into the movie that we also just talked me familiar so these three movies are very interconnected because gargari nava is the director of these three movies. Mm. You know, he is the director of Mi Familia. He's the director of El Norte. This is his first movie. So oh. it's just crazy to think this is a Gregor Navas first movie. I and then he, it connects into the next movie we're talking about. I know I kind of jumped in the gun. I, I, but no, 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 like, it's fine. Because can, yeah. enough, at, oh, at this point, I think our <laughs> listeners are like, okay, what is the movie you're talking yes. about? Right. <laughs> um, okay, so, sorry, I don't mean to yell, but there it is. Um, so <laughs> yeah, Selena. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Take it away, Jason. No. Um, <laughs> so Selena is based on the true story of, oh, man. I, Selena I Quintanilla. Thank you. Who's, because I was like, I'm going to butcher that. I'm terrible. Okay. Uh, who's born into a musical Mexican-American family in Texas. Her father, Abraham, so Edward James almost. There you go. Uh, realizes that his young daughter is talented and begins performing uh, with her at small venues. She finds success and falls for her gu- for her guitarist, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, Chris Perez, uh, played by John Cena, who draws the ire of her father. Seeking mainstream stardom, Selena begins recording an English language album, which tragically she would never complete. All right. So now, with the first question, S- with Selena being a Texas Mexican born Teano. Teano. Yeah. Yep. Teano singer. So Jennifer Lopez, who played Selena in the film, was born in the Bronx. She's Puerto Rican. And she's Puerto Rican. <laughs> yeah. So New York Rican. <laughs> so do you, so do you think the differences in the Mexican and Puerto Rican culture somehow compromises the authenticity of Lopez playing Selena in the film? No. No? No, I think like I mean she's like Selena, she's a second gen. You know, her family's coming here. Her family, she's an American who grew up around Latino culture. So they're very much in common a lot more. I think, you know, they're both kids who like disco music and dance, you know. Mm-hmm. So I think I think what's so unique about, like, Selena is Selena is having this enduring impact that we're, we're really all experiencing now. I mean, I see kids in the inner city 
wear her t-shirts. Wow. I see white girls in churches wear her t-shirts. <laughs> yeah, and they all know who she is. They, yeah. They've all heard her music. And she's been dead for almost 30 years now. It's been almost 25 mm. years, close to 30 years since she was killed. And I think with J-Lo, I mean, she made J-Lo. Like, mm, we yeah. wouldn't have J-Lo. I mean... Gregory Nava had just had her in, a, and we forgot to say in Me Familia, that was uncredited. She didn't, wasn't even credited as the mom. What? In that movie. So that she was just a, like wow. nobody in that movie. And then he says, I like this actress. And then Edward James almost, they wanted her for this wow. movie. They, and she tried out and she could sing, she could dance. And, you know, like, all, you know, it's fate. Like yeah. that movie, and that movie changed her life. It changed oh, yeah. everybody's life that was in it. It became. It's still what for Latin cinema. It's one of the like most longest lasting in the last thirty years mm-hmm. about Latin representation, and it's a story about an American family that mm-hmm. happens to be Hispanic. Yes, that actually finds their culture. That mm-hmm. Selena finds her identity in her culture. Yeah, and her so do her siblings. So it's it's so it's so interesting to see that. Like that's what that, and I remember still watching. I was fourteen when I saw that movie. And I remember seeing it for Babysitter, who's she was Dominican, and she took me to see. We think we saw like a, uh, three movies: uh, was Selena, Shine, and Power Rangers. <laughs> the last one we just snuck in because we were like, oh, <laughs> it's like in the third theater. But like, she didn't want to babysit, so and we we're all like teenagers. So she's like, well, I'll just sneak into movies and buy food. So, but we we all purposely went to see Selena. Like Selena was the actual movie that we went to go see. Mm. Like we saw that movie and. It was just a movie that I remember just sitting there going, this sounds like my cousins. Mm. This sounds like me. And I think I think that's why I think it didn't matter if she was Puerto Rican. It doesn't matter if she was Tejano. Like, you know, like mm-hmm. it's, it was, you know, she was a, you know, Tejano kid is still an American kid who's still struggling with the mm. same issues, mm-hmm. the idea of fame, the idea of getting her passion through. Yeah. So. Oh, um, so we were talking before the podcast um, about having seen this film. I've seen this film multiple times. I had a cousin who uh, maybe I'll get her to listen to the podcast kids. I'm going to talk about her for a second. So, hey, Carla. <laughs> um, but she was obsessed. Like she's obsessed with this film. And so as when she would babysit us, she was living with us at a time. She'd be at home with us. She's like, okay, let's watch Selena. I'm like, again. And so we would watch and the one of the lines that's burned into my brain forever is you gotta be more Mexican than Mexicans. You gotta be more American than Americans mm-hmm. both at the same time. It's exhausting. So like that one, that specific, I swear, that specific line, I think even, even to me as someone who's like outside of the Latinx community, like as a black American, I'm like, oh yeah, no, like a black kid living in white suburbs, like feeling like you gotta be, you, you get, you gotta be, you gotta be black to the the black kids that go to the school. You gotta be, you know, this version of a black person to the white kids because you are their only only exposure to black people other than the ones that they see on TV, right? So like that that line always hit me. But I wanted to know, like, your thoughts on that, Jason, um, that uh, line specifically. God, because that's something <laughs> I've struggled with, you know. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I am a Cuban-American with the whitest name ever, <laughs> Jason Thomas Barber, <laughs> you know. Blame my father on uh, <laughs> that one. And my mother. She's part of that game, too. <laughs> she says, if you were a girl, we would have named you Latino names. And I'm like, 
So you just named all those white names? It's like, we like them. Like, but, uh, like, that that is something I've grown up with. Like, we, we were mentioning before the podcast, you know, growing up in a predominantly white evangelical world, mm-hmm. going from a Latino church, which was predominantly run by women, you know, mm-hmm. because they had to. Because that's just, you know, mm-hmm. you just had to. And because everyone's poor, everyone had to help each other. Mm-hmm. And going to a white church that's middle class or upper middle class, they're talking about helping people but don't know how to help people and they're selfish and it was very clickish mm-hmm. and to be the latino representation also be with my two cousins who were you know daniel afonso cordova and david you know david cordova like mm-hmm. both latinos and how much we all had to in one way or another like water down our latinoness but also embrace it i mean when you have to teach a bunch of white girls how to salsa and it is your six foot one older cousin, like your cousin who's like tall and older. He's the same. He's younger than me. Uh, who's who's uh, being the lead, and I have to follow because I have to teach the girls how to follow because they don't know how to follow a guy because they've never actually danced with someone. Like they've actually, or and then you teach the guys how to lead because they don't even know how to lead. They've never done this before. So you have to like so the awkwardness of just being mm-hmm. like Hispanic and then teaching kids. Even just recently, yeah. I had to go to Taco Night and I brought Puerto Rican. I went to like I went to a Latino, brought a bunch of food to them that is traditional Latino food, and it was like watching minds explode. Like at a Taco Night, a bunch of people who don't understand Latin food, you know. And it's just, yeah. this is even now, and I'm forty, <laughs> you know. So yeah. you are. One, you have to be one to another. But then, if I go to a Latin culture, if I go to Miami, I'm terrified to go to Miami because I know I'm not I'm not going to be Cuban enough. I'm mm. just going to be this white, you know. Mm-hmm. And I remember experiencing that in college, you know, being with New York Ricans and New York Dominicans, and yeah. like, well, you're not Latino enough. You're from Rochester. How would you know? You're probably from Hickville. And then they would come up here and go, "Oh, I'm so sorry. This place is more violent than the Bronx." <laughs> <laughs> And I was just like, yeah, see, I told you. Yeah. <laughs> like, so I am, and then my cred, like, Latin cred went, like, up. <laughs> like, oh, you are more Latin than us. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Yeah, so it's just because you grew up in a community that was more dense. Mm-hmm. That's that's the reality. And I think, like, it, it's that, like, you were, either, like, it's, uh, she says, you know, I'm, it has to be, like, more than Mexican for the Mexicans mm-hmm. and I have to be more than American for the Americans because nobody's ever happy with us just being the complex people we are. Mm. And I think that's the thing about like, you see it in representation all the time. Yeah. Just recently, what is it? Two years ago, Netflix canceled all in the family, which was the most perfect Latin representation t- television show I've ever seen, you know, but they kept Narcos. Of course. You know, even though Michael Pena, who's in this movie, is also a narcos and he's great in it. But, like, just can't complain about Michael Pena. He's the greatest actor. You know. Yeah. Underrated. Love him. But, oh, my god! But think about that. That's just even recently. They got rid of all their Latin shows. But they kept the show that has the most horrific yeah. cultural explanation of us. Yeah. That's, that's that. I mean, still, like, it just, it just, it's crazy. I mean, that's. And also, Network TV didn't want to pick up on the family. Like no other streaming oh. did, and it's just like, wait, this is such a unique show. But thankfully, that writer is making a lot of other shows, and mm-hmm. you know. But it's just, it's crazy. Yeah, I mean, it's for it's disappointing, but you're also like, I'm just, I'm not shocked. Like having been someone who's been, you know, watching 
movies and shows like you know all her life and everything and just noticing the pattern of like what they choose to like the stories they choose to tell and the stories they kind of just like Mm, like that's not really making us money or you know or not really necessarily caring about the representation of it it's more like okay let's take this stereotype right you know of a people and let's just keep doing that because like that's what continues to to make us money not yeah Yeah. uh uh-huh not talking about oh that's girl that's a whole other podcast like (laughs) talking like not talking about how the damage that that's doing i mean but look what look look what just you know, I have to give so much credit to Ryan Krugler because Black Panther, mm, which I'm excited because I haven't watched yeah. it, but I've been reading a lot about it. I'm going to watch it tomorrow when oh, it comes out on Disney+. Yes. Plus. But the idea of having Latino, but actually Aboriginal, yeah. like yes, indigenous, indigenous Latino. Yes. yes. And have our culture be the main culture and having it to be this, creating a world, this yeah. imaginary world that is our culture. Mm-hmm. You know, like that is amazing. Yeah. And also I think like, People forget that I was just pointing out that HBO's highest grossing movie, uh, like streamed movie, this is the, like last year, earlier last year, the same time that The Matrix Reloaded came out and Dune came out on mm-hmm. HBO Max, was the remake of Father of the Bride, which was about a Cuban and Mexican-American yeah. family. Yeah. It was the highest rated streaming for HBO Max. At I that did time. not know that. Yeah, yeah and people, worldwide, worldwide. So it just shows you that like Latin population is... Also, salsa music, Selena's music, mm-hmm. is far goes. I'm gonna I'm gonna say something controversial. Probably goes farther than Beyonce's music culturally. I mean, that's I fine. Mean, you'll Again, probably find it in space. China. <laughs> you'll probably find it in North Korea. <laughs> like, wow! I bet you anything you'll see Latin music anywhere because it is culturally Europe. Latin music is still Africa, mm-hmm. all over Africa. Mm-hmm. I just was listening. A friend of mine just gave me a record of. African artists covering Latino bungalow, which is Puerto Rican music from the Bronx, and like in the sixties, like they were getting influenced in Africa by Latin music. This wow. is the sixties and seventies, so it just shows you our culture is so integrated with all the cultures. You know the, I think there was a study recently that said the perfect genetic genome that has every single genetic culture in the world is Puerto Rican. You're gonna love that. <laughs> yeah, that has the right That's percentage amazing. of black, Asian, and Amer- European. So well, I discovered Bomba actually this past yeah, year. Bomba's so, amazing. Like, I took some classes. I'm like, this is insane. Bomba, how yeah. early, like, yeah. far back that type of music went. Yeah, and, and it's, it's how it's cruel. It's amazing, and it's so cool because when you look at like what Selena has done, like mm-hmm. what that culture has done, the yeah. impact yeah. of this movie is still having on people. Yeah. I mean, I can't go to Hot Topic for seeing Selena <laughs> T-shirt. She's at Hot Topic. She's at Forever Twenty One. She's still everywhere. Her face is oh still everywhere. They just had a mini series in yeah. Netflix that was that did great. Yeah, on yeah. her like it's so it just shows you that like it's this 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 little movie mm-hmm. should be shown. And I mean, if it's shown here, I want I want a big. I want yeah. I want people. I oh, want yeah. po- posters. We're gonna. I want to make this big. I, I okay. keep. Annoying them, but I'm like, we have to do this later, right? Like, well, so I'm saying, do I need to call out the little theater right now just to be like, hey, yes. anybody's listening a little? Hey, friends, um, you need to show Selena, okay? But like, <laughs> also like, make it as big as you show Beetlejuice and other movies. Yes. Like, this is as important. Sure. We're the press needs to be as big on this movie as anything else. For real, oh my gosh. Um, so let's see, going a little bit. I think, I mean, we may have. We have like 
talked Selena. But it's it's fine because like again, it's it's such a important and and impactful film, just like on a lot of different levels. I to that like want you to talk about a little bit about what you were talking about before our podcast, the little fact of like how big Selena really was so i just found out today actually yeah. someone uh, one of the spanish teachers at my school he's from california la and he told me that the only t- the only time the houston astrodome has ever been sold out and this it didn't even get sold out for michael jackson and this is 1980s michael jackson so at the peak of yeah. michael jackson right. selena sold out the astrodome <laughs> for a week this is before she, she before she was murdered like <sighs> And I've listened to that concert. You can listen on Spotify. Mm-hmm. It's nonstop. They, she does like. There's no like. There's no what? transitions. They just go one into one out song. Well, and like, how long was the cut? It's an hour, two hours, oh like long, God. almost two hours long. <laughs> and they, she's doing disco songs. They're going into like the bitty bitty bump. They're doing all her hits. And she's oh if you watch God. this because you can watch it yeah. on YouTube. Okay. Um, like they recorded it and everything. And she doesn't stop. Like, it's straight moving. Like, she doesn't take a break. She is wow. dancing the whole time. Like, if she had lived, like, I think J-Lo has lived her career for her. Mm. Like, I think J-Lo is the, what would have happened if Selena had happened. You know, like, had exist like, stayed. Right. So, I mean, she would have been as big as, like, a Madonna or, like, you know, yeah. such a big figure. Whitney Houston, she was on that way culturally there. Wow. And I think that's why people... That's why her story still is relevant because it was such a quite short. Yeah. But I think I think this. I mean, it's good that cause, I mean Edward James almost again. We bring it back to what we're talking about. Yeah, he produced this movie. Yeah, you know he he's the one who found the director. Like he's the you know he's the reason this movie got off the ground. Yeah, because you know he's the one who had to convince her family to do this. Wow, yeah. I can't so, imagine. So, like, that. I mean, it wasn't yeah, because of J Lo. They didn't know who J Lo was. They knew right. who the director was, but I, they knew who Edward James almost was. Mm. So, like, Edward James almost had to be the person to kind of go, okay, I want to do your daughter's life justice. Mm-hmm. I want to honor your daughter's life. We want to make it right. And we want also to have a real Latin voice, yeah. not some, you know, soap opera act director, you know, who does right. these heartwarming biopics. To come do like a cliche thing, hire a white actress to play a Latin (laughs) actress, which happened a lot, even it's a nice, even it's even now, it still happens. Yeah, yeah. You know, so like, or a Latin actor play someone else. You know, like they had to be. Everybody had to be right. Everybody had to fit that part right. And everyone was. If you watched, like, you see this and you see me familiar, like, oh wait, that that actor is about. You know, like the the one who plays the mom is like in familiar and like James Almost and Michael Pena makes a small role. It's like, yeah, they're yeah. all like, he just like yeah. had a little stock company. He just said, oh, okay, yeah. you're going to make this little, this movie. It's their own me familiar, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Actors and actresses. Yeah. Oh yeah. For real. Um, okay. So we're going to move on to our next movie. Um, this is Zoot Suit. Um, I don't know what I was expecting with this one. Um, but oh my gosh, like I'm ready to talk about it. <laughs> it's like a play. It's, it, you're it watching is, a play. It's so we're and I'm going to talk about that because I thought that was so interesting. Um, okay, so it's based on the true story of a Mexican American gangster, uh, Henry Reyna, whose real name is Henry uh, Levas. Uh, and others in his group are wrongly accused of murder. They are then rounded up by the police, put through a racist trial, and then thrown in jail while fighting for an appeal from the inside. As Henry considers his fate, he has a conversation with with El Pachuco, again, Edward James almost, a figure from his own conscience uh, who makes him contemplate a choice between his heritage and his home country. 
So I, like I said before, I really love uh, the style of the, like the, the way in which it's told is, so it's as if, and so in the beginning it's, you see, you see an audience or you see well, people walking into, you know, this, this place and everything. And so you're saying, oh, okay, they're, they're, they're a bunch of people sitting in an auditorium and they're getting ready to watch this play. Well, the movie is the play. So it's almost like you are the audience, except it's be- because, you know, yeah, it's you're watching from the play to the real world, to the movie, to yeah. the like, stock motion, like stop. Yeah. It just plays with every aspect of what you're thinking, like a movie you're supposed to be in. It's definitely a movie from the seventies, right? Yeah, yeah, for <laughs> real. The early eighties. Like, I, I was like, "This is clearly from the eighties." <laughs> yeah, early eighties. That kind of like okay, right? Where it's like very and and of course like where plays are very dramatic. This is also like very. I at least I thought like it was very dramatic and everything. Um, and it also might just have to do because it's again the eighties. I don't know. Um, but um. I, again, like I just kept thinking about, you know, how it's done. I think the only other, the only other movie that I've kind of seen done like that, except there isn't an audience in that one, is um, Anna Karenina. Mm. So if you've seen the film adaptation, they also do it where it's kind of like it's a play. But what the what Zoot Suit does is it plays with the audience. So like at times you are the audience. At times you're kind of like a fly on the wall, and then you're also shown the audience's reactions to certain things happening. So I want to know from you, Jason, if if this if this film because it's also based on a play. So if this film hadn't been stylized in that manner, do you think it would have taken away from any of like the themes? Um, I don't know. I, I think that's, this is a movie that I, I think people need to rewatch culturally because mm. it yeah. does definitely has like, it's a definitely a different kind of stylization, oh, yeah. but I, yeah. I do, I don't know. I think, uh, let me repeat your question. I'm kind of, yeah, like, no, no, like, you're good. A little bit. You're good. No, no. So, okay. So if this were just, if you were to take, so what happens, cause it is based on a true story. Yeah. So if you were to take it and if you were just make it a, Redramatization, right? Instead of like making it set in like you're you're watching these people act out this on a stage. Do you think that would necessarily take away from the story itself? Would it be the same thing, or was it just? Do you think it's just like I think it would take artistic a, choice? Take away from the Alpuchuco character. Mm, okay. I think you want to have this almost like Spengali magician mm. character, like devil. You don't know what he is. Yeah, he's kind of this character that floats into this never world of easy demonic influence on the character. Mm. Is he also his ancestors telling him? Yes. This is what he is, you know, but also the cultural identity of the zoot suit, which was mm-hmm. a very traditional kind of, you know, it was a Mexican-American yeah. reinterpretation of the that 40s became such a popular right. image. But, and, you know, it was what black and Latinos would wear mm-hmm. in L.A. Right. to kind of specifically say we're different. Yes. You know, this is our identity. And I think his character would not have the impact if they didn't do it that way. Because you want his character that he's speaking to the audience, mm-hmm. but he's also speaking to the main character. Yeah. He's also speaking to the racist judge and the sheriff. You know, he's also he's yeah. playing everybody. He's this he's this like trickster that's mm-hmm. in Latin Latin traditions yeah. and like and, and even at like older cultural traditions. Yeah, that that kind of goes into our culture. And I think that's something that's really cool to see that Edward James almost is playing this traditional trickster, mm-hmm. which, you know, he's the, you know, like, 
he's you know if I don't know if everybody's ever seen American Gods mm. or the book. You know, there's a traditional African uh, like trickster god. Yeah, and that also has transitioned into Latin like characters and Latin personas and stories of a trickster. Mm-hmm. And that, that goes into Mexico, that goes into Puerto Rico, even throughout Latin America, there's these char- these cultural characters. And I think that's so cool because I think that gives more power and weight to it. And also, he can narrate and tell you how horrible this is and mm-hmm. how it still exists in Latin culture. Yes. How we are, how like these people are still looked like this. We're, mm-hmm. we're, I mean, we... we I mean, we've all known in the last five or six years how often, like, the news still calls us, you know, like, all these mm-hmm. names. People just, in the last few months, the border. Yes. You know, and it's not Mexicans. That's Cubans. That's Haitians mm-hmm. and Venezuelans. Yeah. You know, those are the good Latinos, mm. like, culturally in the past. But now we're crossing the border because there's, like, people don't understand that's what's happening. And it's more complex. And these are professors, teachers, mm-hmm. nurses, doctors that our country is collapsing mm-hmm. and yet hey no they're the same they're still the dirty they're sleeping in the tents you know there's still these people that are taking our jobs they're going to take our stuff our women our stuff like and that's what's so interesting about zuzu because it's it's this is 1982 this is like the year i was born it's 40 years now yeah. you know these two movies are like well no i think it's 80 so it's like 44 two years ago yeah. but like still but like it's still saying this. I mean, yeah. this was a big, mu- like big musical when it came out in the seventies. Like it, he won a Tony for this. Yeah. Edward James Olmos. So yeah. like, it had a huge impact. And at the same time, he's not the only Latino on the stage. Right. We have Raul Julia. You know, like uh, you know, like we know him from as Gomez Adams, but like man, Raul Julia was one of the most biggest Broadway actors, and he mm. was a hundred percent unapologetic Puerto Rican. Nice. You know, like. <laughs> And I mean, if you ever get, want to watch anything, go on YouTube, type up his Taming the Shrew with Meryl Streep, and you want to see two actors at the top of their game wow. do Shakespeare, watch that version, and you're just going to go, wow, that's insane. You're typing that up right now? Yeah, she is. Yeah, Tell her to watch yeah. something. She's like, all right, let me write this Taming down. Taming the Shrew <laughs> with him. Like, Royal Julia and Meryl Streep is amazing. And you, you see that, like, like... That is them right there. That's them in the 1970s, late wow. 70s, early 80s. You have these two Latinos. And that's where the thing is so fascinating when we talk about these movies is a lot of these came out early 80s. Mm-hmm. There was something happening in, in the culture that I think L.A. and film industry and the money was going towards mm-hmm. Latino directors or Latino representation. That and I, I think it happened culturally everywhere mm-hmm. because I think they were kind of banking on like the black expectation model that was already kind of dwindling out. At mm-hmm. the time, and I think they were thinking, "Well, if we have this huge population of people, yeah, you know, that want to watch movies. Maybe we should make movies about them." Mm. You know, like, and I think Hollywood is starting to kind of hit that, and then all of a sudden, you know, sadly, Miami Vice hits, which Edward James almost wins. <laughs> He's in, but it does also have every Latino actor ever under the sun, like from play a gangster. Oh, yeah. You know, like John Leguizamo, <laughs> Benicio del Toro, you know, like you name any Latin actor from the last, I think Danny Trejo, like they've all were on Miami Vice. Wow. I don't think Danny Trejo is, I'm probably going to get corrected on that. But he's in American Me, which is another, which is an OJ's almost directed movie, which 10 people have died from that movie. Connection wow. to that movie. Yeah, because it was real, uh, they got real gangsters. He directed real gangsters and got real stories. And like 10 people have literally who have been connected to that movie were killed by Mexican gang members and mafia members. 
because they got it so close to the culture. They got, they like nailed like even the initiations like oh my uh, and like Edward James almost got extorted <gasps> for like five years by one guy. He was trying to extort him for money. Like he was gonna try to kill him. Yo. <laughs> Because of this movie. Okay. Danny Trejo even said it. Like, ten guys. He said ten <laughs> guys he knows got killed. Oh, my because God. Because of American Me. That was Danny Trejo's first movie. Like, oh, El Mariachi. Oh, <laughs> man. So, yeah. Like, that just shows you, like, how important, like, like you have this. Like, yeah. this, the, this man was somehow in the connection of all this. And this kind of leads to Selena as we kind of mm-hmm. lead it. Selena is like the big boom, the big mm-hmm. bang of all this. Like, But it's also kind of the last hurrah because if you think about after Selena, other than movies like we talked about Real Women Have Curves, yeah. representation has kind of dwindled in the early 2000s for Latin movies. Mm-hmm. Up until recently, yeah, you haven't seen that. Like, it's just, it's been... Right. But that it was like mid-90s was the, the last big bang and then that was it. Man. Ugh. This is like this what we say always on this podcast, like Hollywood seriously do better. Like there's there's, well, like, there's uh, no excuse. There's no excuse. Like, I do think we are doing better. I think you have now, like Edward Jones was one of the few people, but now you have people like John Leguizamo. You have J Lo. You have people. You have a lot of Latin actors that are making production companies. You have mm-hmm. a lot of writers uh, that are building the stories and telling the stories yeah. in such unique ways. And I think that's just because, you know, they said, you know, the industry has gotten to the point like, oh, wait a minute. We, these do make money. You know, like In the Heights does make money. Hamilton made money. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) You know, and that was Latino and black voices. (laughs) And we are seeing, I mean, we're, we're seeing more of it. I just, for, for me, I can't speak for everyone else. um, But for me, it's like a slow crawl. Like I'm like, okay, great. Like you're coming out with more stuff, but I'm like. Instead of like getting the same actors like to play things, I'm not going to go into my Timothy Chalamet rant. Um, um, he hasn't yeah. played Latino yet. Let's wait. Oh my <laughs> god! Right, like they're going to. Well, all of a sudden, yeah. he's like a Cuban character. Then I'm going to flip up. Oh, oh yeah, god! Like no, there are other actors out there. Anyway, <laughs> I'm not going to it. That's a whole other podcast. Um, but yeah, like again, I'm happy and I'm yeah i'm excited to see you know more of the represent- representation out there and everything like you were just saying like wakanda forever i like can't tell you how many like videos i'm watching of people like mayans like talking about like how they're recognizing like mm-hmm. stuff from their ancestry in the film I- i'm just like okay great let's keep going Let's keep going right. with that. When um, I watched yeah. In the Heights, I literally was sitting with two white friends, and they're sitting there like, why are you crying at the first scene? And I'm just like, because they have El Presidente and Café con Leche in the cafe and the bodega. And she's sitting there like, why is that so? Like, you don't care, man. You just no, don't care. Like, go. that tiny detail. Oh, that tiny detail. Oh, and no, then, no, like, to no. talk about, like, the Latin gods when they go, Rita, Celia, oh, yeah. and you're just sitting there like, gone. Just feel like all of our culture just like giving it to us. Like like in the heights, I was like, oh man. Like, <laughs> I love that more than Hamilton. I know that's gonna be controversial. So. <laughs> Honestly, I think yeah, it's very close for me too. In the heights I watched with my family in the theaters and we were all just like in awe of just the music too that was throughout the film. Like, and it was nice to like, see our food. Yeah. Like it was nice to see just the way our food's cooked, like the the drinks, the the beer. <laughs> like, just the sodas. Yeah. <laughs> All awesome. that matters, yeah. Seriously, seriously. Um, okay, 
because we are we're having great conversation and I want to make sure we get to the Battle of the Gregorio Gregor. Cortez. Okay. So I'm a big Western person. Ooh, I didn't know that. Yes. Um, I am. I am. Um, they both like Courtney and who is now here with us. Um, hi Courtney. Um, right now, um, she's like, she's still living. I don't mean to say that, that it's not, um, anyway, I'm but- saying a lot, I'm saying a lot. No. Cause I said, <laughs> she's not here with us. So like physically, physically right here in this room. Um, but they, but, but they, both her and, um, Deb will hear just how much about like Westerns, especially the harder they fall, which was our first episode ever. Have you seen yeah. Buck and the Preacher? What, which one? Buck and the Preacher. No. Oh, I gotta let you borrow this. Okay. Sidney Poitier directed a movie <gasps> with him and Harry Belafonte and please, Ru- Ruby D. Please. All in a movie. Oh my gosh. Yeah. How and it's the first place. black Western during the Black Exploitation. Oh, okay. Yeah, we're going to have to talk, man. Because I was raised mm-hmm. on like Clint Eastwood. Like that's what, that's all my dad. I know. My dad, that's all my dad like watched Hang Em High and the, the Good, the Bad, the uh, like, yeah, yeah, Great that's... line stereotypes and Clint Eastwood movies. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, so the Ballad of Gregorio <laughs> Cortez is based on the true story of Gregorio Cortez, who was played by Edward James almost, um, who was falsely accused of stealing a horse by Texas Rangers, after which a scuffle breaks out in which Gregorio kills a sheriff and his own brother is shot. Now forced to go on the run, Gregorio has to leave his family and set out alone. Uh, meanwhile, a reporter starts to piece together the story and realizes the incident stemmed from a tragic misunderstanding. Eventually, Gregorio is caught and put on trial for murder. Um, okay, so real quick um no not real quick um but what i wanted to say like i so i pay attention a lot to uh because i i love history I'm a, I'm a student of history and everything like that and so looking critically at history is something we do here at our voices project um so i found it interesting that the intro to the film so it says after and i'm looking specifically at the wording here after the turn of the century more than 50 years after texas had through war won its independence from Mexico. Two cultures, the Anglo and the Mexican, lived side by side in a state of tension and fear. From a true story of that era come different accounts of the same event. Now, going back to what it says, Texas won its independence from Mexico. Wasn't Texas... Like, yeah, Yeah. stolen from Mexico? Well... More like a bunch of illegal aliens crossed the Mexican border, said this is their homeland, and then got stuck in a, in a, in a like a mission and said, "Hey, you're stealing our land from us," and then started shooting at a bunch at the Mexican army. Yeah, you know, <laughs> bunch of drunk Texans. Yeah, uh, but sorry if anybody's Texan. Uh, but, but uh, no, don't be sorry. Don't be sorry. <laughs> I said safe space, man. Safe space. <laughs> Well, that's what it is. This is like they were illegal aliens and they crossed the Mexican border and they said this land is ours. It's like, no, it's not. Yeah, yeah. Okay, because I'm watching that and I'm going, am I, maybe I'm just misunderstanding my history, but I learned about the Mexican-American War also. Right. Um, <laughs> well, this, yeah. this movie's really fascinating because it also shows a little bit of uh, what they call Juan Crow laws. People don't understand that it's not just, there wasn't just Jim Crow. Mm, Texas had Juan explained. Crow. Yeah, yeah. So same idea, mm-hmm. uh, same practices, but, you know, it also applied to Mexicans in Texas. Mm-hmm. You know, if you were Mexican, black, or, you know, you couldn't vote. I think they, you had bars that say blacks, Mexicans, and dogs not allowed. But then they I think they were more favorable to the dogs. 
into bars and places. That segregation existed for Mexico's even up until this time. And I think this was so fascinating about this movie is mm-hmm. actually Smithsonian said this is the most historically accurate Western to this date. They actually shoot it in the actual locations, most of it. The courthouse is shot in the real location where where the actual trial took place. The jail cell where he's in is the actual jail cell. Most of the locations that they shot Mm -hmm. were in the areas where he was fleeing. Mm -hmm. So, And actually, I thought what's so unique about this movie is it's it's showing like the white interpretation and the Latino interpretation. It's showing it through like the reporter. You yeah, know, the reporter is kind of chronicling the absurdity of all this. Like, how mm-hmm. is like the largest Mexican, like the largest manhunt in Texas Rangers history happening mm-hmm. here for yeah. one guy? One, and because it's all due to mistranslation because of a white sheriff. Yes, and that's why you're, you're pointing out. Like, why do you think there's like no like subtitles? Is yeah, the yeah, director yeah. Robert Young mm-hmm. and Edward James Olmos didn't want subtitles. Because they wanted only Latinos to know that it was a mistranslation oh, so until the very end when we all realized we were American gone, oh, yes, that it was because he thought the wrong word like that. He translated is like, yeah, that's why, you know, like this yeah. happened. So like anybody who spoke Spanish watching that movie when it came out, were like, oh, oh, they, they know they everyone else doesn't know what I know. Yeah. Yeah. And oh, I think brilliant. Is, yeah. That's so it's a, it's a yeah. very very like it's interesting like film to understand that like that aspect like i remember even like when i watched it i actually like i wanted to retranslate every word so i would pause everything and i would try mm. to get everything in spanish like the spanish subtitles because yeah. if you do it on the criterion version like you'll see that everything in spanish subtitles okay i did not so they even you change the subtitles they'll change yeah. it to spanish okay so like i would record and go like okay <laughs> uh, okay oh oh i wanted to like know everything yeah you know so oh my god Mm-hmm. No, I, yeah, I loved that. Cause I, cause I was watching and I'm like, okay, there's no subtitles. And then I thought about it and I'm like, no, actually that's good. That's really good. Cause then, cause, cause then, yeah, we are like what you said, the Americans looking on and we're like, oh, well, I don't understand. Like what is the issue? And, and then at the same time, and then like, again, like through this person who's, who has the interpreter and she's talking about, well, there's, you know, the female versions and there's the male versions like of the same word. And so like he answered in the way that he knew because like that's his language horses. <laughs> right exactly oh, and I, I was just like oh my gosh um i saw so many parallels like i had to like i had to pause a few times because i and then like walk around because i was like i'm seeing so many parallels to today so like i just wanted to list a few there's so many i love it so this, this one is so good here you get interpretation so the i mean um this is this is what i do jason oh so 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 Cho, who is the 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 person, the, the guy who misinterpreted, um, you know what Gregorio was saying. So along with most of the posse, they assume that Cortez is part of a gang. It's just him. Um, they not of like we said before, not fully understanding one's culture and language. Um, also, throughout the film, they're saying I don't speak. People are saying I don't speak Mexican, but I'm like, okay, but you're on Mexican te- technically. Not technically, but technically Mexican or what used to be Mexican territory. So, yeah, um, first of all, and it's also not Mexican, um, Spanish, but whatever. Um, so you see me, you should see me getting agitated. Like, this is how <laughs> I was during the film. I'm like yelling. I'm like, my neighbors are probably like, what is going on um, with her uh, separating Mexican families? Mm-hmm. Um, I, we saw this that. 82, it's 40 years ago this movie came out. <sighs> so I'm like, 
man, like I, that's why I don't trust the whole, well, they were a product of their time. No, actually there were people back then who knew that this was not right. Um, so no, it's just not, it's not just a product of their time. No. Um, firing on people without an announcement made, um, like, you know, by law enforcement, um, jumping to conclusions about a person based on racism. Um, the prosecutor here in the courtroom, um, is playing on the jury's fears and sympathies and racism. Um, the mob wanting him hanged, believe, you know, believing him to be a criminal instead of him going through due process. They were like, no, we want justice. And it's like, no, he's been tried and like, you can't just take him and do what you want with him. Um, Cortez followed Texas law at mm-hmm. the time. Um, and they still were not willing to let him go, even though he did follow Texas law at that point in time. So I don't know if there was, if like I'm right on, if there were any others that I like missing there, but I just saw so many parallels to today and it's like it's still happening and I don't know what your what are your thoughts Jason um I think what was so unique about this was at in that time they understood that I think mm-hmm. the director um you know Robert Young was a documentarian he also had previously made a movie with um with Edward James Olmos called El Paradista mm-hmm. which is about migrant workers like uh-huh. just like the ones worked on the farms yeah um and like the issues there and Edward James Olmos has a small role was like a like a pothead, like annoying, like the the guys, but he's he still was part of the production of this. And I think, I think for me, seeing those stories, they were just saying this happens every day mm-hmm. in our culture. Mm-hmm. This happens part, of, and this is our long history of mm-hmm. struggles of being this identity. And I think that's something that is very hard to kind of explain to people. Mm-hmm about Latino culture and Latin. I mean, especially if you're a Mexican, this is a way co- more complicated, especially with Tejano or Chicano, mm. you know, like, or if you're in New Mexico, Arizona, or even Nevada, like, there's a weird cultural balance between that. Mm. I mean, we're New York, so Puerto Ricans, Dominicans, Cubans have a different kind of story. Mm-hmm. But we still see it. We're still lumped into the same group. We're still limped in the same culture, and we have similar aspects to our culture. You know, like I know people who came in the Mariel boat lifts, who were put in camps. You know, that's just part of mm-hmm. the story of our of our identity, and I think it just doesn't change because I think it's hard for American culture to identify in them their own their own their own like misgivings of like their neighbors because they you know this is a very People who like to preach that they love their neighbor, mm-hmm. but this is evident that historically yeah, you haven't really loved your neighbor unless they're Canadian. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. But even no, Canadians don't yeah. really love Americans. No, so. and I mean, listen, <laughs> I don't blame them. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, but with Mexico, it's this weird, weird relationship that is as complex as any relationship can be. Mm-hmm. And I think, like, I think this is this is this evidence of that. And I think mm-hmm. what you see in this w- Western is, as we were mentioned, like Buck and the Preacher, and I know it sounds like a swearing, but like, <laughs> but, uh, like, like black westerns, even you're you're seeing and la- like this this Latino Western because this is the first real, I think, the first real Latino Western because mm-hmm. it is a Latin lead, a yeah. Latino Latin American Mexican lead leading a story about a Mexican folk hero mm-hmm. and like western hero yeah. like an actual kind of western style criminal 
and he's doing it accurate. He's not making up some fictional story like every Bailey the Kid, Jesse James story we've right. ever seen. Right. You know, like that those white people who are like tell you know, doing the whole Liberty Valence thing, you know, like print the legend. Ugh. You know, like <laughs> but not tell the truth. And I think he's like, No, I want to tell the truth. And the truth is more crazy than the actual, yeah. you know, than they could actually make this story. And yeah. I think what's so unique about this movie is it didn't it wasn't a big hit. It was kind of like neglected, but it is a movie that literally, if you rewatch it today, you're sitting there going, this, this Western is so timely. Yeah. It's so real, Absolutely. you know, and it's, other than it's really bad synthesizer music, it does. Have. Oh my God. That's the thing that bothered me. The most. It's like such an eighties yeah. thing to do it over a Western is to if put you, synthesizer. Really if you watch the Criterion <laughs> version of it, they have a Criterion DVD. They interview the whole cast mm-hmm. of Edward James Omas, and they do they do make reference to the music. We apologize. It was just the time. It was commonplace in our movies, you know. Like, but I mean, if you think about it, this movie wouldn't have got made without Blade Runner. Mm. He got yeah. big because of Blade Runner. Yeah, so yeah. that 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 kind of caveat pushed this movie to even happen. Like, so it's just yeah. like these connections that he was doing he's still telling these stories he's still getting arrested for these stories you know trying to get these stories out and i think that's what i mentioned earlier like edwin james almost does not have a kennedy center honor he doesn't have a medal of freedom you know like this guy deserves it yeah i mean he's had you know like he's created the latin film festival latino film festival in la he is that still exists the latin and broadcasting network if you if you're in la you're watching that that is their pbs they have two wow. PBS. PBS and the Latino PBS. <laughs> oh, man. So, like, that just shows you how big the yes. <laughs> identity. Yes. We don't even have a Latin PBS. I have an annoying PBS. You got, they, they, <laughs> they, I, they know it. They do know it. Trust me. I've talked to Mona. Like, they know mm. that they've dropped the ball on Latin representation on yeah. their show. Like, and it's, it's, it's true. Like, they, they need to kind of, like, culturally, as we've talked about, like, this is important. But yeah. I'm glad I'm glad you guys loved these choices. I'm glad <laughs> you love It's like seeing a good like like a western. Yes. And knowing it's like accurate. Oh my god. I went but like cuz I cuz then and I love the movies that like after I've watched them, now I'm going to go look up the like the real story and I'm just thinking, "Oh my god." Yeah, I mean like, that movie's what? pretty close to the real story. Yeah. Like it pretty is just close. insane. Like he went and then like and I think they explain that at the end of the movie, right? Like he went back and well, his the, so the conviction was reversed, but then it was brought back to trial six more times. Yep. It's just like because of just one mistranslation, yeah, and an accidental shooting, Crazy. which is like we just seen the footage now. Like people, people realize that like just amongst African Americans, but Latino kids yeah. like this mistranslations mm. are just this. This is still happening in. Texas, New Mexico, California, oh. you know, in the southern states all the time. Mistranslations, cops, I don't speak Latin, I don't speak Spanish, Ugh. you know, like, God. it's just part of, you know. Well, hopefully we see more of the representation. We can get Selena at the Little Theater. Come on, y'all. <laughs> yeah. um, I also want Desperado. I'm trying to push for Spy Kids as well. Yes. I want I want movies that you guys all everyone knows. Uh yeah. Oh my gosh, I grew up on those movies. Spy Kids is so Latin. Yes. Uh, <laughs> that 
thank you. Thank you so much, Jason, yeah. for being on the podcast. This was an incredible talk. Um, learned so much. Um, hopefully, all of you who are listening, you go check out these films. So that's El Norte. It's Mi Familia. It's Selena, if you haven't seen it. Um, it's the ballad of Gregorio Cortez. And it is also... Um, El Norte. El Norte. No, I said I thought I said El Norte. Oh, okay. Well, no, it's fine. It's fine. But make sure you go see these films. Um, you find them, watch them, have discussions. Um, you know, with people closest to you and everything like that. But they're very important films. Also, look up Edward James Almost. Again, he's had this incredible career uh, and continues to fight for representation. And thank you so much, Jason, for being on the podcast You're and welcome. having this discussion. Thank you for inviting me. I would Ab love to come on future podcasts if you guys need me. Absolutely. I, 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 you know me. I love, like, <laughs> I understand. I love films. Yes. Oh, I know. He's always posting um, about films. All right. So, <laughs> to, yeah, we, we'd love to have you back. Uh, to our listeners, thank you so much for your support of Our Voices Project and our representation in cinema podcast. You can find us on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and at ourvoicesproject.com for more information about what we do. You can sign up for our newsletter there, too, to be the first to get notifications about new podcast episodes, film projects, upcoming panel discussions, and updates about our student coalition. You can listen to this episode and others under Representation in Cinema on any of the platforms listed on our website at ourvoicesproject.com slash podcast. This has been Jackie McGriff, your host for this episode of Representation in Cinema of Our Voices Project. Thank you always for listening. <laughs> This episode of Representation in Cinema was recorded in the Food About Town studio and brought to you by Nominate. Have you wanted to learn more about the wide range of diverse cuisines in your town but don't want to do the work? Nominate hosts events every two weeks in Rochester and every four weeks in Buffalo where you can buy a meal that feeds two people for $35. The fun part is you don't know what you're getting until you pick it up. Every event has a custom beverage pairing available and you get to support a small minority-owned restaurant. Go to NominateMeals.com to join the nomination and eat some great food. Talking about Latin representation, we should talk about Joker. The original Joker is Cuban. What? Come on. Cesar Romero, <laughs> man. Cesar Romero. Cesar Romero. Jose Martin. Actually, our Thomas Jefferson is his grandfather. He refused to cut off his mustache, mustache. so he painted over it. And in the original modern television, movie. Star Trek, Mission Impossible, all that is created because of Desi Arnaz. Gosh. Cubans, what we made TV. We literally, there's a great podcast <laughs> on how Desi and I created television. That's, Syndication, reruns, like yeah, the live studio audience, the whole sitcom is also Desi Arnaz. Like, there's so much J I have Jason, to look you need to, now, yeah, you need to come back and like school us on the knowledge because holy crap. <laughs> Seriously. Yeah.